Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you would, would you stand if you're able? And we'll read from Acts 16, beginning in verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and Lystra. A disciple there was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by their brothers at Lystra and Iconium, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come up to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Nopolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. After she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful in the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaimed to you the way of salvation. This she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they're disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stalks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that all the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. 
When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and all your household. And they spoke the word of God to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up to his house and set food before them. He rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, have they beaten us publicly? Uncondemned men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison? And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported all these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. And so they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they'd seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. You may take your seats. One morning I was out walking our dog when Jacob, who was uh, two, uh, pushed open the storm door. He stepped out on his uh, socked feet and he hesitated. I waved to him, but you could see that he'd broken out of jail and, uh, well, he wasn't sure what he wanted to do next. He was kind of weighing the risk. But then uh, Deb, uh, his mom, followed him out. And I asked, would Jacob like to pet the dog? Yes. And then we exchanged pleasantries about her son, and then I asked how they'd been. And sadness filled her face. She said that on the front page of the local section was a picture of her former boss. She had been murdered in a bar fight. She and her husband uh, had undoubtedly dreamed of owning their own business, undoubtedly expected uh, that to bring something that would bring happiness in their lives. But for Deb, this was the third co-worker's funeral she was going to attend that year. All around us, people are experiencing uh, pain in their world as it falls apart. Sometimes it is sudden, unexpected, right out of the blue, and at other times, well, it's an accumulation of things that happens slowly, the way a house might fall into disrepair. Life in a fallen world, in a world that is alienated from God, is unpredictable, disappointing, painful, and often tragic. And yet there's reason for hope. God himself has entered into our world to deal with pain and loss. But contrary to our expectation, God's entrance doesn't mean that pain and loss have yet ended. But it does mean that there is purpose in our pain, that God will meet us 
to give us a joy that's enduring. That's what we see in the life of this retired uh, Roman soldier who runs the city jail in Philippi. God rocks his world so that he might know joy. Now, I don't know what you've experienced this year, but I know two things. One is that you want more joy than you have. And the other is, is that you will experience, and already probably have, pain and disappointment. This text shows us just how it is that we can know joy, lasting joy, joy that can uh, hold up to the disappointment and pain of life. So let me walk you through uh, the story. It's uh, really one of the most, uh, well, drawing stories in all the book of Acts. Um, Luke is beginning another major section as he begins to recount the third missionary journey. Paul and Silas return to the churches that they've planted with the purpose of strengthening them, and they pick up Timothy and add him uh, to their team along the way. They deliver the decision the apostles uh, reached that we looked at in Acts 15, and then we read this. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Luke is communicating through the narrative an important principle for the church. It's a missionary principle that evangelism, the church growing in number in those who are new to the faith, and discipleship, strengthening the church, go hand in hand. No church can thrive without both of these. And then we're told that the Holy Spirit uh, directs them and redirects them as to where they'll travel. Uh, Three times the guidance of the Spirit is mentioned, one time through a vision. And Luke's giving us another important principle. Both human planning and divine direction are needed if the gospel is going to penetrate new groups of people, uh, reach uh, new places and new communities. Paul's plans changed under divine uh, direction. And we too need to plan and trust that the Holy Spirit will direct us. Uh, Sometimes he will, in our planning, actually bring us to what he intends for us to do. And other times he will let us know that no, he wants us to move in a different direction. In response to the Holy Spirit's direction, Paul and his team arrive in Philippi, and the story shifts principally to two people, a woman and a man. Now, Philippi was an important (coughs) Roman city. Uh, A lot of Roman soldiers, when they retired, were settled there with a grant of land. And that land, for all intents and purposes, was in Italy. It was a piece of the city of Rome itself. Its citizens were ruled by Roman law and custom, and they were exempt from paying uh, taxes. And Paul, when Sabbath day uh, comes, uh, doesn't enter a synagogue because there isn't one there in town to go to. And so he goes out to the next uh, best thing, a place of prayer. There just weren't 10 Jewish men. That's the number required to establish a synagogue. And so uh, he's telling us there are not very many Jews here in Philippi. And Paul and his companions sit down. 
and uh, they visit with the ladies. Eventually, uh, a woman named uh, Lydia, who is uh, present, hears the gospel from them. And the Lord opens her heart, and she believes, and she and her household are baptized. And this is another fundamental uh, truth related to the mission of the church, that it is not up to us to actually bring people into a relationship with Christ. No, it is God who does that as we faithfully share the gospel with other people. He's the one who opened Lydia's heart and mind to understand and gave her the capacity to respond to the gospel in faith. Sometime later, and we're not told when, and you might miss this in the passage, but some time has elapsed. And then uh, Paul goes uh, out again to the place of prayer. And on the way, they encounter a slave girl who has what the ESV translates as spirit of divination, but is literally a Pythonic spirit, like the oracle of Delphi. She tells the future to people for profit, and her owners are getting rich uh, through her services. But she goes off script and follows uh, Paul saying, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. She persists for days, and eventually uh, Paul, who's greatly annoyed, commands the spirit to leave her. She's freed uh, from this spiritual oppression and probably what was really an oppressive occupation. The owners see that their business is ruined. They drag Paul and Silas to the authorities, and they charge them as rabble-rousers and advocating strange customs, which is a way of saying their anti-Semitism came uh, to uh, the fore because uh, many uh, Romans found both the Jewish monotheism and the practice of circumcision to be rather repulsive. The crowds join in the fray. The magistrate orders that they uh, be stripped and beaten uh, with uh, rods. And then they're further humiliated by being uh, jailed and put into stocks. And you can imagine that being put in stocks after having your back beaten would leave you very uncomfortable. In prison that night, Paul and Silas pray and sing hymns uh, to God. And then the prison is shaken to its foundations The doors are open, the prisoner's shackles fell off, and the jailer at that moment saw his world fall apart. He was responsible for the safekeeping of his uh, inmates. Their escape would bring him public uh, shame, humiliation, and for the failure to keep his duty, he would be put to death. Suicide seemed to him a better option than death at the hands of people who were intent on humiliating him. But Paul calls to him, we're all here and accounted for, and the jailer calls for the lights, he rushes in, and he asks, what must I do to be saved? And this is all that they need to speak to him, the word of the gospel. He and his household believe, they're baptized, and the jailer cares for them. The jailer goes from despair to joy, from despair to joy. And that leaves us uh, three questions. One is, why is this jailer filled with joy? Why, Why not just relief? And why does Paul start all this trouble to begin with, rebuking this evil spirit? And just how is it that Paul and Silas 
can pray and sing with raw backs as their feet are in stocks. Well, this whole chain of events begins with Paul's rebuking the spirit in the slave girl. Why does he do it? Has he simply lost his patience? Uh, Isn't this woman giving uh, Paul and Silas an endorsement? Isn't everything she says is true? Well, Paul rebukes the spirit because it's sowing confusion. He's agitated because this woman is undermining uh, his ministry, the mission. The words most high don't mean in that time and place what they mean to you and me as Christians. Greco-Roman culture was polytheistic. It worshipped many gods and was pluralistic. And what people heard her saying, what her words meant were that there is one deity on top of all the pantheon of gods, and these men are serving that deity whom they consider supreme. So her words undercut the absolute and unique claim that the one God has come uh, to earth, uh, incarnated uh, to redeem us, for as our uh, judge, he dies in our uh, place. Her message completely undercuts that and says, well, the gospel is just one more religious or spiritual option. And when she uses the word save, she doesn't mean what most people in church mean by that. Rather, uh, what people would hear is a reference to the mystery uh, religions. And so Paul rebukes the spirit and frees the girls because he wants to bring an end to the confusion. He goes around and preaches the gospel. This uh, woman is following around just confusing uh, the audience. And our day is much like them. There are many, many spiritual religious options uh, today. And many people uh, design their own religion the way uh, you might put together your salad at the salad bar. You start with a bit of this and you add a little bit of this and you top it off with something from over uh, there. And most people, uh, well, today, at least in the West, don't adhere strictly to one of the great major religions. Most people have some mix, uh, some blend. And if that's you and you're here today, it is a good thing that you recognize there's more to life than material things. But the question I want to ask is that this story points us to, is your spirituality such that it gives you a durable joy that it can hold up to life's disappointment, to life's hurts, that enables you to face even what is tragic without ending in despair. The second question is this. Why is the jailer filled with joy? Surely he's relieved that no one's left uh, the prison. No one has escaped, but why joy? Why doesn't uh, he just ask sirs? Why does he ask sirs, what must I do Uh, to be saved. Why not just relock the cell doors and go back to bed? Well, the jailer interprets the earthquake as a supernatural event. And what it says to him is that there is a God somewhere who is displeased uh, with how Paul and Silas have been treated. And when he asks, what must I do to be saved? 
he means that word more in the terms of rescued. There is impending judgment coming upon me, and what do I need to do so that I uh, don't experience the wrath of one of the gods? There is really no reason to think that he's asking to hear the gospel here. But that doesn't stop Paul and Silas. They seize uh, the moment uh, to share the message of the gospel with him. That our great problem in our world is that we are not in a right relationship with God. And that uh, God, who uh, rightfully has a claim on our gratitude and our obedience, is angry with us. But God himself has acted uh, to quench his anger in the person of Uh, Jesus Christ. And then really amazingly what he says to this man is in order to be saved all you need to do is believe. You don't have to bring about a reform in your life. You don't have to clean your life up. All you have to do is trust that God has acted on your behalf in Jesus Christ. You see God has shaken the jailer's world. It looked to him like an utter disaster. Like what he was about to face was public humiliation and then execution. And he did it uh, to show him a mercy. The reason for his joy is uh, that he has received, as he's believed the gospel, a new life. And with that new life, a new relationship with God, a new purpose, a new sense of belonging, a life of hope in the midst of a fallen and disappointing world. This disaster, this earthquake, leaves the prisoners free to escape. But it was orchestrated by God to bring to this man the gift of joy, of everlasting joy. Now, if we're honest, often in our pain and disappointment, what we want is relief. We think, well, if we can just have that thing that we believe will make us happy, then the disappointment or hurt we have will just dissipate. If only I can have that car or this house. If only I can find the right person. They'll make me happy. If only I can accomplish this. If only people respected me. If only my children turned out a certain way, the way I want. And we think that we know that if we could have this thing, life would be good. We'd be happy. But you know, so often when you get that thing you think you need, that you have to have, it may satisfy for a short time, but it's not long before it no longer satisfies. You know that new car? You park it in the parking lot, somebody scratches it, It just doesn't hold the same joy. (laughs) That can happen uh, the day after you buy it. (laughs) You know, fat-free ice cream might be a frozen dessert, but it doesn't satisfy the way real ice cream does. You see, God uses circumstances that we cannot control, not to beat us down, but to get us to let go of those things that keep us from him, that hinder us from our deepest joy. But we have to surrender control. We have to surrender our self-determination to have life on our own terms. Christ is the only one who will not disappoint you. Jesus is the only relationship that you can have that will satisfy you. His approval is the only approval you need. 
And you will never find durable joy apart from him. But you have to come on his terms. And they're really simple. You have to admit that you have failed to manage your own life. And you have to turn from ignoring or resisting God and put him at the very center of your life by trusting that in Christ God has done all that's needed for you to be in a right relationship with him. He must become the exclusive center of your life and everything else must be put aside. Have you done that? Have you come to him? Have you faced the fact that you can't manage life on your own terms? Our third question is this. How can Paul and Silas pray and sing after being publicly humiliated, having their rights violated, being beaten uh, to the point that their backs are wounded and made miserable and uncomfortable being placed into stocks? If you'd been in Paul's sandals, would you be praying and singing? Well, I hope so. But I've experienced far less pain and lost my joy. Christians do lose their joy, have you? I I understand if that's you because it happened to me. Just all how it happened really doesn't matter. But would you like to know how it is I found it again? Well, the gift of new life in Christ had lost its importance to me, and I didn't regain it until I understood that God calls us not only to share in Christ's resurrected life, but also the cross life as well. The experience of suffering doesn't disappear when we become uh, Christians. We still live in a fallen world. We experience disappointment, uh, pain, even Uh, tragedy. And God calls us to suffer. He gives us both the resurrected life of Jesus and the suffering life of Jesus. And he has many purposes in this. But suffering uh, does something that nothing else can do. It drives us out of ourselves. And if you would regain joy, then here's what I would counsel you to do. Don't run from or numb the pain. Face your emotions. Ask what's underneath, your anger, your sadness, your envy, or your anxiety. And then take responsibility for your thoughts and actions. Don't be passive. Lots of people, when they're they're hurting and disappointed, they just, well, they just melt like butter on a hot day. Put an end to self-pity. Call that party off. Challenge that all or nothing black or white thinking that so often we have when we're disappointed. Challenge the unbelief that says God is not near or he doesn't care. Don't embrace those, well, those thoughts of despair that say things will never be better or that life isn't worth living. The hope that God gives us is rooted in the future and not just the present. And value Christ above all. Bring your pain to God, your mourning and sorrow. They are appropriate responses. 
when difficult things happen. This morning, uh, we received word that Nancy's sister's uh, adopted uh, adult daughter died. There's a lot of pain behind uh, what happened in their relationship with her, and they were alienated uh, from, uh, from her as a result. But still, there's pain. And being sorrowful and lamenting that loss and all that happened before it that left uh, them not with a life that they expected with her, but with a life that was filled uh, with hurt and rejection on her part toward them. How is it that Paul and Silas can sing? Well, it's because they have a joy that's durable that no circumstance can take for them, and their joy is a person. It's Jesus. They have also embraced the truth that God uh, calls us to suffer for the sake of others. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to suffer for the sake of others? That's a part of the calling of Christian life. Zahid came to understand that. Zahid grew up in Pakistan. His father and elder brother were both imams, and he followed in their footsteps as was expected. When he was entrusted with his uh, first uh, mosque, he gathered some of the young uh, men there and looked for opportunities uh, to attack Christians. He hated uh, Christians. And uh, one day, uh, there were a group of young Christian uh, boys near the mosque, and he took his group of young men, and they uh, went out, and uh, these young boys ran. One of them dropped a Bible, and Zahid had always uh, told uh, the people who worshipped in his, uh, uh, there uh, with him in the mosque that they should burn a Bible if they ever find one. But for some reason, he was drawn uh, to take this Bible up, and he purposed well, uh, to study it so that he could teach his uh, people uh, the falsehoods of Christianity. And here's uh, what happened in his own words. I was reading the Bible looking for contradictions I could use against the Christian faith, and then all of a sudden a great light appeared in my room, and I heard a voice calling my uh, name. The light was so bright it filled the entire room, and the voice asked me, Zahid, why do you persecute me? I was scared. I didn't know what to do. I thought I was uh, dreaming, and I asked who you are. And the voice said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. For the next three nights, the light returned, and the voice did. And on the fourth night, Zahid knelt down and prayed uh, and embraced Christ as his Savior. And his hatred for Christians uh, was gone. And so he started sharing with everyone, his family, the people in, uh, there in his mosque about Christ and what he had experienced. And none of them believed him. And in fact, uh, they reported him uh, to the authorities. He was arrested and he spent two years in prison. The guards repeatedly beat him and tortured him. They pulled out his fingernails in an attempt to get him to break his faith. At one time, they tied him by his hair uh, to a ceiling fan. He suffered greatly there, but he said, I never hated my captors because I had been one of them. He was, in keeping with uh, uh, Sharia law, condemned to execution by hanging. Uh, 
as he was led out to be hung, uh, he uh, preached the gospel. And uh, as he was put up on the platform, guards rushed in and, uh, and announced not uh, to hang him. Orders had been given. The court had not found enough evidence uh, to convict him, and so he was suddenly let go. Nobody to this day knows quite why it was that that happened. But Zahid changed his name to Lazarus because he had been risen from the dead. Jesus embraced suffering for our sake. He was treated unjustly, having broken no law. He was humiliated, mocked, stripped naked, beaten, whipped, and executed in a way that was intended to maximize the pain of his death. He did that for us. He took what we uh, deserve, who want to find joy outside of him, apart from him. Paul and Silas were gripped by this. They felt honored to suffer for the sake of others, this beating. They could have pulled out their diplomas, that's what they were called, the proof that they were Roman citizens, which they probably carried with them. But they chose not to. And one of the reasons they chose not to do that before they were beaten was so that the gospel would reach not only the Romans, but even the Jews in that town. He didn't want the gospel identified as Roman. He wanted the gospel free uh, from that. Zahid found a joy greater than all the pain in his life. And that joy is Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, there are among us some who are skeptical and cynical. And we pray that they might know true joy. That you would uh, work in them, stir up in them honest questions. And they would investigate uh, the gospel for themselves. And Father, among us, There are those who've lost their joy. And we pray you would uh, strengthen them and and comfort them in what's tragic. And that they uh, would, uh, Lord, have such a passion to struggle with their thoughts and their lives. That they would uh, uh, come to you until once again Jesus is the center and highest joy in their lives. And Lord, we ask for all of us who know Christ that you would enable us to embrace whatever cost you called us to for the sake of others that many more might hear the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.